Well, if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 30, and if you're new uh, and just jumping in with us, we've been in Genesis for almost a year now, uh, walking through from Genesis 1-1 to where we are today in Genesis chapter 30, beginning in verse 25. Uh, If you looked at the newsletter and then you looked at your bulletin, uh, you'd notice that you got bamboozled. Uh, We're going to try and endeavor uh, to add in uh, another, I think it's 58 uh, verses this morning. Uh, So uh, just buckle up, but we won't read all two chapters at one time. I want to ask you a question as we begin, and I want to ask, how many of you have gone through mundane seasons of life. Maybe you say, Shauna, it's not a mundane season. I live and lead a mundane life. The things in which I do and accomplish seem to have little to no value at all, and I'm just kind of going through. Well, it's Tuesday. Let's get through today, and then here comes Wednesday. Well, it's Wednesday, and let's get through today, and then here Thursday comes. I want us to see in this text, because the end of, ver- of, of chapter 30 into even some of chapter 31 seems to be extremely mundane. We see the life zoomed in on Jacob, the now bearer of the promises of God from Abraham down to Isaac and now into Jacob. And we see these activities in his life, and we could very easily say, why are we reading this? Why are we reading how Jacob breeds livestock? Why are we reading how he traversed these different places? This seems too mundane and a waste of time. Let me encourage you and encourage us this morning that one, there is nothing mundane in the kingdom of God because we see that growth in the kingdom of God comes by faith the size of a mustard seed. There's nothing mundane to him. There are no mundane people. There are no mundane tasks because sitting above all of it is a sovereign, loving, and powerful God. We also need to be encouraged that just as there are no mundane tasks, no mundane people, there are, we should not neglect small things. Prophet Zechariah reminds those in the rebuilding of the temple to not neglect the day of small things. We, as the people of God through Christ, ought to recognize that we are, if we've trusted in Him, a part of a remnant. This remnant is not huge. This remnant is not boisterous. This remnant is small. But it is this remnant who are and are being saved. So if you come into worship this morning and you say, my week has been mundane, my month has been mundane, my year has been mundane, my life has been mundane, maybe you can find happiness in this text. To be able to see, just as Jacob does, that it is the Lord God who sits above these things. If you remember immediately uh, before us, last week, we were looking at the, the chaotic nature of Jacob's family, the offspring of his wives. 
11 sons at that point and one daughter would then become a great and mighty nation. Well, verse 25 picks up right after and leads us into this next episode of Jacob's life. Remember, Jacob has left on the encouragement of his father to leave the Canaanites and to go and to find his family there with his mother's brother Laban. Jacob goes, finds the beautiful bride Rachel, uh, works seven years for her, and finds out the morning after his wedding that he didn't in fact marry or sleep with Rachel. He is swindled, bamboozled by Laban. Laban gives his older daughter Leah to him, and the rest is history because we read that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. In verses 1 through 24 of chapter 30, remind us of the chaos of this lifestyle. He has children by Rachel. He has children by Leah. He has children by their slaves, Bilhah and Zilpah. It is chaotic. And this next section picks up where we left off, reminding ourselves of the framework of God's promises to a sinful people. Abraham was not a flawless man. He was a idolater. He worshipped false gods, yet God revealed Himself to Abram and says, follow me. Genesis chapter 12, we're reminded that God's covenant to Abraham was to be a people and a place that would be a blessing to all the nations. This covenant was continued and reaffirmed in Isaac and now into Jacob. So as we see and saw in our last text last week, God is showing Himself to work even through the chaotic nature of these sons of Jacob to provide for him a people. Yet here in our episode this morning, Jacob finds himself still under the headship of his father-in-law, Laban. I've heard it said by those in this congregation, and I think when my son uh, is old enough uh, to be thinking about marriage, uh, this kingdom is only big enough for one king. You've got to go. Same with Jacob and Laban. Laban, in many senses, owns everything that Jacob has, everything that Jacob is, and it shows itself in the narrative uh, that follows. Joseph cannot be a people and cannot be a place until he has a place and a people. And so verse 25 enters us into the story. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor with you, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Then Laban said, Name your wages, and I will pay them. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you, and how your herds have fared with me. For you had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me, 
And now, when will I also do something for my own family? Laban asked, what should I give you? Jacob said, you don't need to give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. Let me go through all your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark-colored sheep among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. In the future you will come, when you come, to check on my wages. My honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted, or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. Good said Laban. Let it be as you have said. I told you this was a sermon about mundane things. Here we are talking about goats and lambs of different colors. Who would have thought Sunday morning worship? It's going to get better. I guarantee it. Commentaries would note that speckled and spotted sheep and lambs are very rare, similar to like a calico type cat. They are rare uh, in terms of these things. So Jacob is saying, you will be able to see my fruit, my uh, fare will be very wide open to you. For if I have black, white, or brown goats, lambs, whatever in my flock, you'll know that I have swindled you. But I will take only for myself what is statistically to be the minority group of these flocks. Mundane yet? Laban says, this sounds great. Let it be as you have said. But here we see Laban again in verse 35 doesn't honor even what would have turned out to be a great agreement for him to partake in. But what he does in verse 35, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 35, Laban removed the streaked and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone that had any white on it and every dark-colored one among the lambs, and he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock. Mundane enough for you? Let's keep going. Because it's not just simply enough to look at these colors of sheep. We also need to see how Jacob is able, by the providence of God, to see that this undermining of Laban will not prevent the promises of God from being upheld. For God's promises are for Jacob through Isaac and Abraham to be the father of many nations, that by him and through him he will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. He shows himself to even be fulfilling this now, as Laban is now better off because of Jacob being in his household this is the fulfillment of the promises of God. But Laban underhandedly undermines Jacob. Verse 37, Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood and peeled the bark, exposing white stripes on the branches. He set the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep, in the water channels where the sheep came to drink. And the sheep bred. When they came to drink, 
the flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face the streaked sheep and completely dark sheep in Laban's flocks. Then he set his own stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks, and they would breed in front of the branches. As for the weaklings of the flock, he did not put out the branches. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. Aren't you glad I studied a little bit more to realize that would be a really weird ending point for a sermon? Because the cat's out of the bag. That would have been a really weird ending point for the sermon. And this is not a sermon on three ways uh, to promote good and strong animal husbandry. This is not how you can grow your flocks by uh, stripping the bark off of the wood. This is not any of these things. This is not even, wow, you want to learn how to be a great herdsman and shepherd? Look at Jacob. Chapter 31 begins to explain, it gives the explanation of God's working behind the scenes. That in the midst of these mundane activities, God is at work. God reveals himself and God speaks. So while this might seem mundane in chapter 30, verses 25 and following, what really is happening is the fulfillment of God to bless his covenant people. And what an amazing reminder that God continues to bless His covenant people today. Not by providing us speckled and spotted sheep, but by providing for us new sheep to the flock. That it's through the gospel, through this gospel that was provided through this gospel that is only through Jesus Christ, prophesied from those like Jeremiah saying that this new covenant, man, the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant made to David, the covenant made in all of these different instances, is they're great, they're phenomenal, but there's a new covenant, Jeremiah says. Turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll just be there briefly. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, we are reminded of this new covenant that all of the blessings of material, of people and place come to a head in this new covenant that is not a physical blessing. This is not prosperity gospel. That if you do these three things, the Lord will bless you and your bank account will be like Scrooge McDuck. These are things that if you trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you will have everything you need. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, these were sons that were just born one chapter before. In Genesis chapter 30 and 29. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. 
the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This is all centered on the work of the sent, holy, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, who upon His work on the cross makes forgiveness of sins and justifies a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. But this Son comes similar to our text in Genesis from mundane or, or simple means. He does not come from the most prominent tribe in the house of Israel. He comes from Judah. We do not come from the strong tribe. We do not come with a background or a resume that seems to make us out to be worthy of anything. We come as those in need of salvation. So do not neglect the day of small things. Do not see your life as mundane. Do not see God as not working in your daily life, for He truly is. And that these covenant promises in Christ are yours if you have trusted in Him. And for anyone who is apart from Christ and is seeing a mundane nature of, man, I just don't know what I'm doing, let me point you to Jesus who will give you a hope and a future. That it is in Him and Him alone where you must see an end in and of yourself. That apart from Christ and another person's activity, you could never save yourself. Maybe your life is mundane because you worship a mundane God. Maybe you have sat yourself in the place of God and you are the only one who sets the guiding line on what you are to do. And you say, this seems purposeless. It sure will be. Because your life is finite. You will die and the Annals of history will not echo your name at all. That may seem, seem pretty depressing. One preaching mentor would say, preach, die, and be forgotten. We must recognize that our lives are able only through Christ and through the proclamation of the gospel to have purpose. When we center our lives on our own good, on our own affections, on our own desires, it will be purposeless. So if you are a sinner in need of God's grace, it's there available for you. You can find purpose in Jesus Christ. And beloved, if you are a believer this morning and you say, my life seems like that, I love Jesus, but it just seems mundane. Let me point you again. Don't neglect. Don't put off. Don't forget 
the love at which you had for him at first. Remember the blood shed for you in this new covenant. Don't forget the body broken on your behalf. Those things are not merely elements at the table. Those were real realities of Jesus' own bloodshed and body broken so that yours wouldn't have to be. Continue to remind yourself of the working of God, even in the midst of the mundane. And aren't you glad that chapter 31 picks up where chapter 30 left off by giving explanation to God's activity in the mundane? I almost titled this sermon, God and the Mundane. But just, anyway, so it's titleless, like 90% of my sermons. Verse 1 in chapter 31, Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken all that was our father's and has built this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude toward him was not the same as before. The Lord said to him, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that with all my strength I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God has not let him harm me. Let's just pause there. Look at all in those few verses all of the activities of God's working for His people. God spoke. The God of my Father has been with me. God has not let Him harm me. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. The Lord said to him, God is active in the mundane. We must center our lives on the reality that God is acting, and He's not acting primarily for our good. He's acting primarily for His namesake. And in the midst of that, when we jump on the bus of God's glory, it is for our good. Verse 10, when the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. Now, let's pause here. Commentator note, Jacob's got some weird dreams. Not but just a few chapters before, he sits down in this town that he now calls Bethel, and he has this dream of a ladder, and angels are descending and ascending from heaven. What is going on with this guy? I think you might be able to say that God is very specifically revealing his plans and intentions for his covenant people. This is not just, man, I ate a weird piece of cake before bed and the dreams just got to hold me. This is God revealing himself in this specific way. In that dream, the angel of God, verse 11, said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. 
And he said, look up and see. All the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked and spotted and speckled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up, leave this land and return to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah answered him, Do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and has certainly spent our purchase price. In fact, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. So Jacob got up and put his children and wives on the camels. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in Padan Aram, and he drove his herds to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols, and Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, and overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night. Watch yourself, God warned him. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. What an interesting narrative of God's providence in revealing himself. Remember, God reveals himself. God acts and speaks as the God of creation. God is not limited by the dreams of Jacob. God is not limited by these things. He reveals himself. He is active in the redemption of his covenant people. Verse 25, when Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his relatives also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you secretly flee from me, deceive me, and not tell me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing, with tambourines and lyres, but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You have acted foolishly. I could do you great harm. But last night the God of your father said to me, Watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Interesting that Laban's already spoken. Now, verse 30, You have gone off because you long for your father's family, but why have you stolen my gods? This is where the narrative plot line takes a left turn. Laban seems to be acting strictly out of selfish ambition to continue to preserve his own namesake by keeping Jacob and his family there, his grandchildren and his two daughters. But now, the reason why Laban voices his frustration is through these household gods. Jacob answered, verse 31, I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives, point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. 
So Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, and the tents of the two concubines, but he found nothing. When he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Leah's, Laban's household idols, put them in the saddlebag of the camel, and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent, but found nothing. She said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period. So Laban searched, but could not find the household gods. What an interesting story. And we still have some yet to go. Laban has now tricked Jacob time after time with Leah in the place of Rachel. And now Laban is trying to trick him by preserving his flocks, by removing them three days journey and giving Jacob the short end of the stick. Yet God continues to show himself to preserve his covenant people, to provide for them a people and a place that they truly would be his people and he would be their God. Then Jacob, verse 36, became incensed and brought charges against Laban. What is my crime? He said to Laban, what is my sin that you have pursued me? You've searched all my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before my relatives and yours and let them decide between the two of us. I've been with you these 20 years. Your ooze and female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams from your flock. I did not bring to you any of the flock torn by wild beasts. I myself bore the loss. You demanded payment from me for what was stolen by day or by night. There I was. The heat consumed me by day and the frost by night and sleep fled from my eyes. For 20 years in your household, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six for your flocks. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God had seen my affliction and my hard work, and he issued the verdict last night. You might think that this story has gone as far as it would go, but it continues Laban uh, or Jacob voices his frustration. He shows himself to be on the side of Yahweh and Yahweh on the side of him. Isn't it a good reminder that when God covenants, he cannot break that covenant? And so it is true, as Laban has tricked Jacob, has changed his uh, wages ten times. Jacob continues to remind him, God has allowed these things to happen, and I continued to work faithfully for you. The flocks that were destroyed and maimed by animals, I took that loss. I was the one consumed by heat and the frost. I was the one unable to sleep. I was one faithfully working for your good. Jacob is reminded that not only is he, just as verse 43 says of chapter 30, the man, Jacob, became very rich. Jacob realizes that his 
blessing. The blessing of Yahweh on him is not primarily for himself. And so he doesn't say, my flocks, my attention, my acts, my this, my that. But here is Laban's response. The daughters are my daughters. The sons, my sons. The flocks, my flocks. Everything you see is mine. There are some words for people like that. Keep it PG, selfish, conceited, egomaniacs. Friends, the blessings that come to us in Christ laid out by the Apostle Paul as every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies are not just for us to sit on. That's what we do with idols. Rachel shows us this. We are to be about blessing others. I think Jacob is a great example of this. I served your flocks faithfully at my own detriment. I did these things for you. And yet, at the same time, we will face those like Laban. Everything you see is mine. That is not a right theological understanding. We, just before the sermon, took our tithes and our offerings. We are able to give cheerfully as believers because we recognize that money is not mine anyway. God could strike us dead right in this moment. The air in our lungs, not mine. The beating of my heart, not mine. The money in my bank account, certainly not mine. He has given us the physical bodies to work and to will and to struggle in these ways. And it is not ours. It is His. May we not have a heart posture of Laban. All that you see is mine. To reference our good friend Scrooge McDuck one more time, may we not say, mine, mine. It's all mine. But what can I do today for these daughters of mine, or for the children that they have born. Come now, let's make covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between the two of us. So Jacob picked out a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relatives, gather stones. And they took stones and made a mound, then ate there by the mound. Laban named the mound Yegar Sahadutha, but Jacob named it Galid. Then Laban said, this mound is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, the place was called Galid and also Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, look at this mound and the marker I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and the marker is a witness that I will not pass beyond this mound to you and you will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do me harm. 
the God of Abraham and the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father, will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and invited his relatives to eat a meal. So they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountains. Laban got up early in the morning, kissed his grandchildren and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban left to return home. Chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, This is God's camp. So he called that place Mahanaim. A couple quick things. This is not primarily the redemption of a people. We need to be reminded this is pre-law. So these things seem really far away. The way in which they marry, the way in which they build families, these things seem very disconnected in 2022. This is not primarily the redemption of his people, but rather it serves as a progression that will be revealed in the redemption of his people. Why? Because Genesis 3.15 reminds us that a seed of the woman is coming. And he comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the tribe of Judah. Look in the Gospels at the account of Jesus' genealogy. He comes as the redemption for his people. There is no further progression of revelation or redemption. It all comes to a head in Christ. But this story here in Genesis 30 and 31 is not the final and full redemption and restoration of his people, but rather it progressively gets us closer to it. And what do we see? God's action and activity in this story. God says, God speaks, God acts, God preserves, God oversees, God intervenes. What a crazy thing that Jacob has his dream and at the same time Laban has his dream. What's the proclamation given to him by the Lord? Watch yourself. Proclamation for God's people, I will preserve you. This might seem weird in a couple thousand years that you were just able to strip the, the, uh, the bark off the wood to get lambs and goats to be in your household, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to continue to uphold my covenant that you will be a great people and a great place will be prepared for you. Proclamation for those not God's people, watch yourself. There is nothing that will thwart the covenant promises of God. Absolutely nothing. The promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nothing could stand in between God and fulfilling these promises. Same is true for us today. We see that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And the only few uh, promises left to be kept are that He is coming again 
to rescue and redeem, to finally and forever set everything right. And let me tell you, friend, God's got a really good track record of keeping his promises. Like, really good. And so we can trust him for his previous track record, for his reminder that we will, if we trust in Christ, be his people. And he will be our God. One thing to note in this text is that as Jacob is traversing this area of Padan Aram, there's a continued reminder that from the moment that he sets out from Canaan, there is this this um, this one watching over him. Certainly, Yahweh is watching over him, but in the presence of these angels, they're also noted as those who are watching over Jacob, reminding him, even in the reminding of him and the promise that Yahweh will be with him. Sometimes in the midst of our mundane lives, we think, man, not only is this really mundane, but I'm all alone. Friend, if you are in Christ, that's not an option for you. Because the Spirit of God now dwells in you. You will never go alone ever again. Not only that, but Jesus, in one of His final proclamations, this side of heaven, says in the Great Commission, encouraging and equipping His disciples to go and reach the nations with this same blessing? His final word of comfort, I will be with you always, even till the end of this age. Friend, you are not alone in the midst of mundane life. But rather, let's center our hearts, our minds on what is the promise of God made to us in Christ Right, if that's, if that's where everything's headed, the, the finality of everything we see, think, or do is coming to an end with God's glory and making everything new again, let's get on that bus. We have an opportunity to forsake these mundane things because they're getting others closer to know Jesus. They're ushering in the kingdom of God with each word that we speak on his account. Why? Because he said faith comes by hearing. And maybe we even think today, I don't know, sharing the gospel just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It just seems mundane. Well, you're a fool. Our hearts need to be stirred that the same gospel that saved us is not mundane. The same gospel that saved us is not little. But this gospel is the power of God to save anyone. So let's get on that bus and stop driving the 9 to 5, punch the clock, and just get through the day. Let's reorient ourselves to realizing just as Jacob was shown and guided and directed and spoken to and preserved, so too does the Lord Jesus go with us through His Spirit 
to be able to usher in those who are far from Christ through the power of the gospel into the kingdom. Friend, I think we live a mundane life. And I think in some ways we're happy with that. And that's not okay. What new job will I land? What new car will I purchase? What is the score to my football team's game yesterday? What are... Stupid. You think, no, it's not. I like those things. I like those things too. But when we come to the end of time and all that it's about is God's glory and we're shown in very real sense, it's all going to seem meaningless. And we're going to be left there as if naked saying we clung to stupid stuff. We clung to foolish idols when we had the glory of God revealed to us in Christ right there. Jesus is not mundane. And walking with Jesus does not lead to mundane life. So sure, go to work tomorrow. Love the kids you have tomorrow. Love your family that you will eat dinner with tonight. Do those things, but do not let them become mundane actions apart and devoid from the reality of Jesus coming. For the progressive redemption seen from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob finds its fulfillment in Christ. And let's be about that business. Sure, go to work, be a faithful mechanic, be a faithful cook, be a faithful father, a faithful mother, a faithful grandmother, a faithful great-grandmother. Be a faithful all of those things, but do not do it devoid from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the end of time will remind us that it's all about Him. So, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to our King. And what does He tell us? Go! Make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that He has instructed, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And be encouraged and of good heart, for He will be with you even till the end of the age. Let's pray.